This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Now, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to John, chapter 3. The Gospel according to John, chapter 3. The title of this message is Biblical Examples of Redemption. Biblical Examples of Redemption. This is actually a continuation of a teaching I did some years ago, where I didn't get to get to uh, the specific subject matter that necessarily that we're going to get to in this teaching. But you can subtitle it, God is a Redeeming God. So we're talking about biblical examples, and I say it that way on purpose. (laughs) We need to hear it from the Word of God. But these are biblical examples of redemption that we will use so that you can... Here's my goal. I'm going to give it to you as I wrote it out. The goal is that you know God as a redeeming God because that's who He is. That's the whole goal. I just want you to know God as a redeeming God. Because that is who He is. Especially in times like this. Let me tell you. In in times like this, especially with all the um, emotions that are stirred up, not only in this country, but around the world. You know, some of us have been through this before. Some of us have not. And so, some of us are in places we've never been before. And we start asking questions about, well, where is God? Well, I want to show you who God is and where he is and what he, what he is about. In times like this when we're going through a pandemic, you know, these things don't happen to this level uh, multiple times in a person's lifetime. This is a once-in-a-lifetime type of experience. And it interferes with your life as you know it. And in these times, you start asking, you know, where is God? What's going on here? Uh, you're in uncharted territory. But you need to know. God is a redeeming God. That's who He is. You know, I heard it taught on Sunday mornings. You know, don't blame God. Well, the reason why someone would blame God for what He has not done is because they don't know who He is. I have had work. Um, I've had the privilege of working with uh, being technical mentor for uh, college interns over my years at work. So I have a, a someone I'm working with now. I'm mentoring right now at work. And when you bring in an intern, you know, they have different levels of understanding of, of where you work. And sometimes, you know, they're all on top of it. Sometimes they're a little bit further than others. And so, so uh, this young man, he's pretty new to what we're doing. And so, you know, you have to take time. Take time and try to start explaining things uh, to them. And I'm aware of this. In our workplace, we, have, we use a lot of acronyms. And if you don't know what acronyms are, they're just abbreviations. Uh, that you use instead of saying the full thing out, like MOI, that's an acronym, Men of Integrity, WOC, what's WOC, Woman of Covenant, COLW, <laughs> Church of the Living Watch, those are acronyms, so we use a lot of acronyms, and so when you bring in somebody who's new to the area uh, that you've been working in, the area that you're familiar with, you want to take your time and you want to make sure that you break things down and, and explain to them in, in, uh, in such a format that they can understand. And so I was doing that, you know, and sometimes I do get a kick out of stuff like that. I don't know why. It's just in me. I get a kick out of getting people to understand. And so, you know, I'm thinking I'm breaking it down. I'm doing all good. Then he stops me and says, yeah, but what's that? And unbeknownst to me, I'd use an acronym, but I was so accustomed to using it, 
it didn't seem like it was a big deal to me. You know, I said, thank you, because you caught me on that. And sometimes we forget not everybody is where we are or has been where we have been. And even in the church, we get so accustomed to just throwing this out and throwing that out that sometimes it's good to get back to the basics. And in times like these, you do have people who are listening probably a little bit more intently than maybe they had before, even though they had an opportunity to, but something has their attention now. And so they may be tuning in and they, they're hearing these things and they may not be able to necessarily follow us when we go on to some uh, things that are a little bit further away from just the basic doctrine. And so when I teach these things, this is going to be, this is going to be fit for Bible study. Don't, don't get me wrong, but, but it's also meant to be able to minister to those who aren't where necessarily you who have been in the way a long time are. You know what I mean by that? You're up here, and there's some people who are listening with you, and they're back here. But here's the thing about it. When we start looking at who God is and the redeeming God that he is, it never gets old to me. You know, only those who do not like truth who do not like life. Whew, I'm going to tell you this. And here's a funny thing about it. Who doesn't like life? <laughs> the thing is, people have been so accustomed to living without life that they are feeling okay not having life. But let me tell you, if you can know who God is, you can see life and you'll desire it. And so that's the point of this. And I want you to understand the motivation of this teaching. The why of this teaching is the love of God. That's the motivation. That's the simplicity of it. God wants you to know who he is. And when you see who he is, you'll see that he's a loving God. And this is intended to reach them that are lost. And don't let that term lost... Uh, bend you out of shape. Lost just simply means out of position. We've all been lost before. Amen. Even some of us who have the, uh, that uh, atlas type of mind can tell you all of the crossroads and all of the highways. Don't you know that a lot of them learn that by being lost? <laughs> they didn't just come up on that knowledge and have a photographic memory and, and get all that in them. Uh, they had to go through some experiences. But loss just means out of position. It means you are not where you were intended to be. It means you're in the wrong place. And trust me, we've, we've all been there at one time or another. Now, now and, and just on a natural level, when it comes to uh, trying to find some place maybe you hadn't been before, you're not that familiar with going, don't you know sometimes you think you're headed in the right direction, but you're not. And sometimes you are lost, but just don't know it. That is very possible. You know, you're going along the road and everything looks like, okay, I think this is right, this is right, this is right. But after a certain, you know, you're supposed to be there an hour and it's like an hour and a half now. And you're, you kind of start to get the impression that, you know what, I might be lost. <laughs> I spent an hour and a half thinking I was all right, not knowing that I was lost. So some people really don't know that they're out of position. Now, there are people, let me tell you about brothers. Let me tell you about men, not just brothers. Uh, men can be emotional, ladies. They're just not emotional like you're emotional. They don't have the same triggers necessarily as women do in general. Okay, don't. People take that and they start running with it. 
In this day and age, you've got to be careful. See, that's a generalization. It doesn't apply to everybody. Because you say stuff like that, then some male who's confused is out there saying, you know what, I, I, I think I have the same, same triggers that women do. That doesn't mean anything. That means you're just an exception to the general rule. That's all it But men are emotional. And some men are a little bit more emotional than others. And their emotions come out when they refuse to admit that they're lost. And you know, they know. <laughs> they're lost. And why won't they admit? Because they're emotional. And stubborn. You know, because their pride is hurt when you make them look like they are wrong. And the thing about it, if you are wrong, you should look like you're wrong. If the shoe fits. <laughs> Uh, but we have brothers who are like that. We have men who are like that, who will just plain refuse to admit that I'm in the wrong place. That I am out of position. And they will fight you. Thinking about this time, you know, it's been a while since the men have been out on a, on a uh, true out-of-town, I'll call it excursion. It's, it's a little fellowship is what it is. Uh, you know, we were talking about this, I don't think, uh, too long ago. Uh, actually, it comes up quite often because it was funny. Oh, my goodness, it was funny. I'm starting to laugh just thinking about it. But we were out of town. We were at Grapevine, Texas. <laughs> we were at Grapevine, Texas. And, and uh, we were out, had a good number of people out at the fellowship. Uh, so we are out at this hotel, and we said, let's go get something to eat. So we went to this establishment. We are all there at the establishment, had a good, having a good time at the establishment. And then these particular men leave before everybody else does. And you're like, okay, for whatever reason they did. That's neither here nor there. They left before everybody else does. So we get back to the hotel. All the rest who left with everybody else get back to the hotel. And guess who's not there? Those who left early. You know, we're sitting down. We're having a good time. We conversate. We're in the lobby, you know, laughing and joking. And then somebody looks up and says, you know, where are those brothers? <laughs> you start wondering, right, what's going on? It's, it's, and now it's getting later and later. We, we're not seeing these brothers. So we're in this hotel, and I remember the uh, person behind the lobby gets on the phone, and they start talking. And we're hearing the conversation, and we start thinking, oh, they're talking to those, those, those men. And these men are up there arguing with the person behind the lobby about whether or not they're lost. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's silly. So they're sitting up there arguing with the person at this establishment, and this person at the establishment is saying, now, now, now uh, uh, where are you? What street are you seeing? So, oh, no, no, you're not, at, you're not, you're in the wrong place. No, 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 we're in the right place. No, no, we, we see, no, no, we're trying to tell you. You're just plain lost. You, you know, and, and some people are like that. Now, now in all honesty, <sighs> some people are like that. <laughs> some people, you can show them plainly that they're lost, but they, in their minds, will not allow you to tell them that they are lost. And you know what everybody else is looking at you at like? Well, we know where we are. <laughs> You're the only one who doesn't know where you are. Uh, but we've all been there. You know, and, and so when we talk about spiritually people being lost, you have to admit that some of us, well, here's the thing about being lost, okay? Being lost is out of position. Let me tell you about being out of position with God. Whoredoms. You know what whoredom is? I mean, sleeping with people. I'm sorry. It doesn't even have to be people plural. If you sleep with a person you're not married to, that's whoredom. God did not intend you to be in that position. 
if you are addicted to substances, you're out of position. That's lost. You know, if you do those things that are contrary to the will of God and can't help yourself, you're out of position. God did not position you in that place. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, all these things that are going on, I want you to know the world is crying out because the world is full of them that are lost. And when you get lost, it's just again on the natural example, when you get lost after you're going an hour and a half to a place that should have taken you an hour to get to, don't you start to get worried? Don't you get a little bit on the distress side? You see, that's the cry of them that are lost. Them that are lost start to get distressed. They start to get frustrated. So the, the cry of this earth is crying out, I'm lost. Now some don't know it and are now recognizing it. Some have been told about it and have refused to face it. So many are lost and don't even know it, but too many people are just plain stubborn. And again, I'll get to you, I guarantee you, as much as those brothers were saying that, no, 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 we're at the right place. You've been driving for how long and how long were we sitting there? You know you're lost. You know you need help. Here's what, here's what happens. When you are lost, you don't know where you are. So you need somebody to come to you to give you the direction you need. And instead of you being stubborn, you should receive the help. But when you don't, you continue that life of frustration, of distress, of not having peace. See, this is lost. Lost is I take one step forward and I always get two steps going backwards. See, that's the cycle of them that are lost. Now, them that are lost need to know God's a redeeming God. Amen. God is in the, let me tell you this, God is in the finding business. Amen. I, I, I like that. See, because when you're lost, you can't find me because you don't know where you are. You need someone to come find you. You know, I, I was hearing something and it made me think of this. I can't remember exactly what was said, but, but how is it that you can find God when you're the one that's lost. <laughs> There's too many people are trying to find God on their own. But when you're lost, you need someone to show you the way. Did I tell you John chapter 3? Keep your ribbon there. Look, look at this in Luke chapter 15. Now I am on purpose taking my time. Luke chapter 15. Verse number 3. We'll read read verse 3 through 7. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? Do you hear? Uh, We're starting to see God. He's got a hundred. He lost one. Some of us 
are not God. We don't have the time for the one that's lost. And we enjoy the 90 and 9 that we have. But God sees such value in the one that is not included where he has positioned the sheep to be. He will go after that one. Amen. Glory to God. See, the issue is sometimes we just don't like the person God sends on the finding mission. (laughs) Hallelujah. Glory to your name. I will never forget our founding pastor said this and it just resonated through me and I will never forget it. Because some people want to argue about, is, is, is this a white man's gospel? But I heard him say it and it's so true. Even if it was, he still died for your black behind. See, sometimes we just don't like where the help is coming from. But it's God sending the help because he has located you. He knew you were lost. You're the one who didn't know you were lost. And he's trying to help you and lead you to the path, to the place, the position of the sheepfold. Because he's left the 99. He's come after you. And what do we do? We deny God. And he's being so loving and so kind to come after us. I'm telling you, we're going to see through the biblical examples, but God took a detour to get to you. Glory to God. I'm telling you, this is why this never gets old. Because when I look at who God is, I remember my salvation. And I remember my Redeemer. And I'm so glad He is my Redeemer. Because sometimes we've been in the way so long, we lose How special it is that God took time out of his schedule. He was headed in a direction, saw us out of position, left his path to get us on the path. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep? If he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Glory to God. For those of you who were lost and now have been found, do you know that when he found you and you responded? See, here's the thing about sheep. See, see sheep are not going to fight you. But we're not as good as sheep. We're like goats. <laughs> Stubborn jackasses. I didn't cuss. That's who we are. But don't you know that as soon as you receive the help that God sent you, he rejoiced with the angels. Glory to God. I'm telling you, when you see God, you'll see his love. So I'm telling you, God is in the finding business. He gets joy when he finds 
and then you receive his help. Now, I entitle this Biblical Examples of Redemption because we will see through biblical examples that God is a redeeming God. And when we see the biblical examples, you know, I just, I just want to deal with everybody. Again, we've got this cultural bias that we have nowadays that we have been taught, that we have received. And so now we separate ourselves on this culture side and that culture side. But again, I love when I hear Moses say, but who's on the Lord's side? So, so, when, so when we deal with these biblical examples, we're going to be seeing how God dealt with the Jewish nation. I'm taking my time. So these examples will be based on God's dealing with the Jewish nation. And again, our subject is going to be biblical examples of redemption. So these examples are largely based on how God deals with the Jewish nation. And church, I want you to understand this. There is no Christian church if there was no Jewish nation. Listen to me. Again, and I'm dealing with the cultural biases that we have adopted. But, no, we owe our Christianity to the Jewish nation. After all, there would be no gospel if not for the Jewish nation. God spoke his oracles to the Jewish nation. And we study it and thereby the mysteries that are hidden there bring us Christ Jesus. They bring us the truth of the gospel. And our faith is in the author and finisher of our faith who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was born of the Jewish nation. So don't get it twisted. There is no Christian faith. There is no gospel if it were not for the Jewish nation. And I'll, have you, and I'll say this and we'll move on from this, but here's the thing about God. God's not going to forget that nation. And I'm not talking necessarily about a physical location. You see, because in the Bible, he tells us that, that, yeah, even though you're circumcised, that doesn't mean that you are a Israelite, as God counts an Israelite. It's based on your faith. But God will visit that nation again. Ooh, this, this is... Uh, let's keep going. I, I got to get to a place. Let's keep going, because this is, makes me think of something we're going to get to. Now, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Yes. We'll at least get started in John chapter 3. I don't know if we'll... We probably won't get out of it, but that's okay. John chapter 3, verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus by night. Now, I want to stop right there. I told you I was taking my time. You don't mind, right? This is... Bible study. And so it says here in verse number one, let's break this down. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, understand this about the Jewish nation. Uh, they were not a nation 
until God made them a nation. So when you say one nation under God, it ain't America. Again, hey, let's be on the Lord's side. Because I'm telling you, emotions are very high right now. And you, some people get mad when you say something like that. But it's the truth. And so let me, t- let me tell you the difference between this so-called one nation under God and this Jewish nation that we're studying. Okay, Where they are now is not where they used to be. Don't get it twisted. They're outside of the will of God. And as much help as we as a nation try to give them, I'm not saying anything is wrong with that help. We can't assume that us helping them right now is any good to God because they're outside of the will of God. They have deviated from what God established them with. But at this time, in the time of the Roman Empire, they were still holding close to centering their society and their life around their belief in God. So they ordered their life accordingly. It wasn't just a few people. This was the nation. And, of course, they had Rome ruling them at this time. And the government is prominent, but probably much more prominent in their society are their religious leaders. Okay? And so, as, as much as, well, let's say it this way. So, it makes this statement about Nicodemus in verse number one, that he is a man of the Pharisees, and then it says a ruler of the Jews. Now, it's implied here that Pharisees and ruler... Uh, Those are two different things. Uh, A ruler here would imply that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, a part of their court system. So again, their court system was not based on uh, whether you went to Yale or Harvard. (laughs) It was based on how much of the scripture you knew. Uh, Again, you see their society is centered around it. Now again, it's implied there. It doesn't say explicitly there, but that word is generally used in reference to those who are uh, of the Sanhedrin. Okay. Now, that's implied, but we know it's plainly stated that he's a member of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees aren't a political party. <laughs> the Pharisees aren't part of governing. The Pharisees are a religious sect. Can I say it that way? They are a, if you will, if you put it into our terms today... They're the prominent denomination. They're the leading denomination of their day. And and being a Pharisee, Nicodemus must have known the scriptures. Because you had to. Now, Now, they had other denominations, I'll say. But the Pharisees, God is dealing with the Pharisees. You've heard about the Sadducees? That was another sect. They were typically made up of those who were elite. They were elitists, but they thought they knew the scriptures. And they had some contradictions with the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees actually looked for a Messiah. The Sadducees didn't. Sadducees didn't believe in the Holy Ghost. The Pharisees did. (laughs) Can you believe that? The Sadducees didn't believe in angels. The Pharisees did. And so you see, that's why I call it a type of denomination. But it was a prominent denomination of that time, the Pharisees. 
And the thing about the Pharisee denomination is not everybody could join. Amen. You know, we, we receive anybody into the church nowadays. And, and that day, to be a Pharisee, no, you had to pass the test. And so it's, how can I say it? Being a Pharisee, you had to be familiar with the scriptures. Being a Pharisee is prominent. They had influence, if you will. They were the influencers of the Jewish nation in their day. In other words, when they talked, people listened. And they enjoyed having people listen. In their mind, if you wanted to know God, you don't talk to anybody else but them. If you were having a conversation without them, it was unlearned as pertained to God. They were spiritually sedity. You know that term? They were spiritually stuck up. And so it was, it was a prideful thing to be a member of the Pharisees. So they were the, the uh, dominant denomination. In their minds, they were the authority on God. Listen to this. As it pertains to the Pharisees, it is written that, yeah, they held closely to the law and the prophets, which they should have. But they not only had the written word, they followed the oral traditions. And the oral traditions were, this is what God meant when God said. So in their mind, they were God's interpreters. I, I, I want you to pay attention to this. Because the Pharisees weren't necessarily priests. And you would think that in the Jewish nation, the priests would have the influence. Now, at this time, it became more of a political position to be the high priest. But get this, the Pharisees are said to be the ones who brought into practice worship outside of the temple. When you hear about the synagogues, that's worship outside of the temple. It's said that they instituted it. In other words, uh, we have more knowledge of God than the priests do. I just want you to set you in the right place. <laughs> if anyone knew the word of God and what God was up to, the Pharisees probably would say, check with me, I'll tell you. <laughs> they prided themselves on how they stick to what God wants. So, they were teachers of the religious law given to them by God. And they also, now here's the thing that catches, gets me about this. We know even through their experience and their working with Pilate, they knew how to work the political system. You know, that starts you thinking about what we'll call denominations today. <laughs> they think they have influence and they're, they're using their influence, but in all honesty, God's not interested in that kind of influence. <laughs> and, and you do understand that God has to deal with the Pharisees because if anybody should have been receptive to God being a redeeming God, if they knew God like they said they knew God, certainly they would know. So we have this man Nicodemus. He's a ruler and he's a member of the Pharisees. You with me? So here he is, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. 
and said unto him, Rabbi, that's a term of, uh, uh, of honor. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher. Come from God. For no man can do those, these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, I like this because, first of all, he's coming by night. Not in the daytime. Because it wasn't so popular for the Pharisees to, how do I say it, approve of Jesus. <laughs> you want to know why? Because he seems to know more than they do. He seems to have his finger on the pulse of God better than they do. So they're the influencers and they like their influence. And so they can't just come out in public and say, oh, Jesus, you're the real thing. That'll mess up their program. So he comes by night. Now, now again, just like we have to refrain from generalities, just because Nicodemus was a Pharisee doesn't mean that he was sedity. Doesn't mean he was stuck up, but he hung with him. Okay? So he, he, he comes by night. And he says, Rabbi, let me give you honor. We know you're a teacher come from God. Now, now we know it, but we're not coming out in public with it. We know you're a teacher come from God. Because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, here's the thing about the Pharisees. I have no doubt about it. I'm sure they checked those miracles. I'm sure that they were saying, this might be sleight of hand. He, he, may, he may have worked sleight of hand. He, he may have worked, uh, 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 what do they call it, where they distract you and they do something else while they distract you. Maybe some kind of trick that's going on. And, and they came to this conclusion. Man, this stuff is real. <laughs> this stuff is actually real. So Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes and says, hey, we know God's got to be with you. Because we verify these miracles. And these are real miracles. It's not sleight of hand, no, no trick, no, no, no uh, uh, card game, no shuffling. Any, this is real, what's happening. And Jesus, now, now here's the thing about it. What's the question he asked? Did he ask a question? No, he comes to him by night having a conversation and says, now, now, now we know you, we see the, you come from God, all right? <laughs> and then verse 3. This is, I love Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, now here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is, let me tell you plainly, he comes from heaven. <laughs> Alright? Jesus doesn't come from the earth. I, I like how it's put uh, in one of the Gospels when it talks about Joseph. He said Joseph was supposed as his father. Because no, Joseph, no, no. He's not of the seed of Joseph like that. He came straight from God. And so the thing about Jesus is he's not of the earth. He's from heaven. So every now and then when he talks to people, he goes spiritual on them. And so he's going spiritual now. Now, he's not going deep spiritual. He's going spiritual. And it doesn't have to be deep spiritual to lose someone who's not there. So he says, verily, verily, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay this on you. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing about it. Why is he going spiritual on this man? Well, he's a Pharisee. Jesus is thinking, if I can go spiritual with anybody, certainly I can go spiritual with you, seeing that you are a Pharisee. Now, now never forget this. There are expectations that come from God, 
for those who want to be somebody in the church. Never forget that. You got people jockeying for a position who God has not called, doing things God has not ordained them to do. And God has an expectation once you touch it that you're going to deliver. And you will have to answer for that one day. Let me move on because that gets me emotional and I don't need to do that. <laughs> After all, it is God's house. He, he, he can hold you to expectations like that. Now, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, here's the vital thing here. Jesus acknowledges what Nicodemus and his crew have seen. He acknowledges, yeah, you have seen the miracles. You have witnessed the miracles. You have verified the miracles. They are truly the hand of God. But he's telling them, telling Nicodemus, you send a message to your crew and you need to grab a hold of this. You might be witnessing these things, but you can't see the kingdom from where you are. Ooh. <laughs> and again, all these Pharisees think they're in position. Wow. Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. Don't you know we have a lot of people in church who are spiritually sedity, but are out of position? Just because you've been in church a long time doesn't mean you are where God wants you to be. And the thing about being in church a long time and not being where you need to be, there is, those are the characteristics of the lost. You know, it's, it's hard to be frustrated in church. But that's an indicator that you're not in the position you need to be. It's hard to come to church on a regular basis and yet be without peace. That's an indicator that you are not where you're supposed to be. You're out of position. Wow, I'm telling you, this is a strong scripture, people. This is a strong scripture. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What a strong scripture this is. It's a scripture that transcends time. As all scriptures do. But this scripture is not for all time. Listen to me. Scripture does transcend time, but this scripture is for a particular time. There is an appointed time within which this born again experience can take place. Listen to this. Um, hmm. You won't find this in the Old Testament. You with me? It is appointed for a certain length of time. It is appointed for a certain window of time. You live in that time. And we said before, we got started, you know, we think we got all the time in the world. But we don't. Uh, this, to me, this is, uh, this is exciting. 
It is a time referred to in the Old Testament as future tense. So when you go back to Genesis, Exodus, and you keep going, you go through all the you go through all the, the law, the prophets, the books of history, they all spoke of a time to come. So it was spoken of in future tense in times of old. But here Jesus said the time has come. Hmm. So you live in a time that those in the Old Testament look forward to. In fact, the Bible says they longed to be a part of this time. We've got to recognize the time that we live in. Again, it transcends time, but it's not for all time. I always come to this because, to me, this is the most powerful example of this. There was a flood in the days of Noah, and the ark was open for so long. The ark was, and here's the thing about it: At first, it had to be built, and then once it was built, the doors were open. And God was, been, was busy finding people. He said, Noah, I found them. Go tell them that I found them. But they said, we're not lost. We're not lost. And others said, I got time. But there came a time when the doors closed and they said, you know what? I'm ready. But the doors were closed. And in that time when the doors were closed, they could not accuse God of not giving them the opportunity. So it transcends time, but it's not for all time. You've got to make good the time you have. I'm telling you, you live in a time that those in the Old Testament long to live in. And they probably look at us <laughs> from heaven and say, what in the world are these fools doing? Jesus even said, in this time that we read about in the time of the, the Roman occupation of Israel, he says, man, if Sodom and Gomorrah had heard what you heard, they would have run to receive this redemption. You better recognize the time that you live in. You know, here's the thing about time. Children especially, they always think they have time. Make good the time that you have. When a window of opportunity is before you, you better take that opportunity. I'm telling you, this is a strong scripture. You know, we can get so accustomed to reading it, we miss this. It is a scripture. Now you're going to have to stay with me on this one. It is a scripture within which, if you can receive it, heaven touches earth. I haven't gone off the deep end. I'll show you what I'm... This is a scripture within which heaven touches earth. He says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, which is for a particular time, we live in that time, we live in that day. He cannot see the kingdom 
of God. I want you to think about this. The kingdom of God. Again, some of us assume we know. But I'll reference the Lord's Prayer. You know the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. Thy, whose kingdom? God's kingdom. Thy kingdom, the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come. Well, what's special about God's kingdom? Well, in his kingdom, his will is done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's a reference to heaven, where his will is done. And Jesus says, wow, this, this is, this is out exciting to me. So the kingdom of God pertains to heaven, but you on earth can experience the kingdom of God. <laughs> you miss it. When he says you cannot see, that word translated means experience. He says, yeah, 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 you see the miracles, but except you be born again. Except you take advantage of this window of opportunity which is given to you in this day. You won't be able to experience heaven here on earth. Again, this is where heaven touches earth. Now, I do want to say this. And it's important to say. So you on earth can experience God's kingdom here on earth. You can do that through the born again experience. But it's important to know that the born again experience is not the completion of everything that God wants to do. That's to say once you see the kingdom doesn't mean the world around you will stop being the world around you. Amen. That's not what that means. The born-again experience happens, and the world is still the world. There's still poverty. Amen. There's still injustice. There's still racism. There's still hatred. There's still bigotry. There's still sexism. There's still bad actors and bad acting. There's still hurricanes. Still tsunamis. Still earthquakes. See, all these things keep... There's still wars that go on. There's still sickness. There's still disease. There's still death. But here's the message. After God gets through redeeming man, he will redeem this earth. But that's for a day to come. God one day is going to put away all the evil. Let me tell you, let me tell you this about God. <laughs> God just doesn't love people. He loves the earth as well. Again, I can't get into that because that will take me somewhere else. But the Bible says that creation groans. Waiting for the manifestation. of, Waiting for God to keep redeeming man. Because after man is redeemed, God's going to redeem this earth. 
all those things that cause us hurt and pain and discomfort. It's the earth being out of order. The first start of the earth being in order is that man is found. And man gets in position. So one day God's going to put away all that evil. Going to put an end to it. All those things that cause us pain. And in that time, guess what? We won't have heaven touching earth. We'll have the fullness of this kingdom. But here's the thing. Before that can take place, see, there's a day coming. In that day, we'll have the fullness of the kingdom. But this day, within which the window of opportunity to be born again, this day will determine who in that day dwells forever with him. Amen. See, I'm telling you, God's going to set everything right. But before he can set everything right, he's got to set you right. And then let me let you know this, because once the kingdom fully comes, the doors of the ark are closed. Time will be up. So what is God doing now? He's giving you time because he knows that day is coming. I'm telling you, it won't just be an experience of heaven touching earth. We'll have the fullness of his kingdom. Well, there will be no more crying. There will be no more dying. Wow, I'm telling you, this is something to look forward to. Now think of Jesus' statement in response to Nicodemus' approach to him. You can have the witness of watching God do great things in somebody else's life. And it is good to see. And we can rejoice with somebody else because that means God is moving in the earth. He's moving in the life of people all around you. But eventually, listen to me, it ought to get old. Yeah, mama, I see you blessed. Yeah, daddy, I see you blessed. Yeah, brother, I see you blessed. Yes, yeah, sister, I see God working in your life. Yeah, aunt, I see God working in your life. Yeah, uncle, I see you working in your life. My daughter, I see God working in you. My son, I see God working. After a while, it should get old and you should ask, God, what about touching my life? I see them free, but I'm still bound. I see them at peace, but I'm frustrated. I can't stay happy, but they got joy continually. And I see you working in their life, and I thank God I'm happy for them, but what about me? So that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Yeah, you watch it happen, but have you seen the kingdom? Have you experienced the kingdom for yourself? And unless you be born again, you will not. Let me tell you, this this is why this is so important. This Pharisee had been in synagogues. This Pharisee had sat under the word. But Jesus said, now is the day. Let me tell you, here's the thing about Jesus' day. He ushered in the born-again experience. <laughs> he's, telling, he's telling Nicodemus, like, hey, I'm telling you, Jesus is something else. Because he was on a mission. He finished the work that God gave him to do. And you know why? Because God was in a hurry, if you will. 
because trust me, God can't wait. But he was in a hurry because, as we would say, I can't wait. You know you can. <laughs> but he couldn't wait to get to this point in time where we could be born again. And Jesus was the one who ushered in that day. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and he's telling all of us, yeah, you might see it happening to your brother and your sister. You see all these things going on, but God wants to touch your life. In other words, you're shut out from having God with you unless you are born again. He goes on later. We won't get to that scripture, but he goes on later to say, unless, I won't say it the way he says, but unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom. Again, you're going to be shut out unless you are born again. But here's the thing about it. God's not shutting you out. You have to shut your own self out. You have to refuse to receive the help that God gives to get you out of the position that you don't belong in. He doesn't want you there. Look at this in verse number four. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Now, now, all I want you to see right there is, he says, says, I'm old. And here's the thing about it, I don't care how old you are, you need this experience. Some of you are surprised. Well, you know, I got to go here. This is me. And some of you know me, and this is just me. This is me, okay? But I don't like the title of Christian. The reason I don't like that title is because it's a web that keeps growing and growing and growing. When it should be an exclusive web. But what I find is Jesus never said, you won't see the kingdom unless you be a Christian. I never see Jesus saying you won't enter into the kingdom unless you be a Christian. He tells us we must be born again. There is a difference. It's because we like to carry titles and we like to be uh, uh, put in buckets in this society. And so Christian right now means I don't know what it means. Let me tell you this. You can find, and, and you know, it's, there's no shame in our game. The truth is the truth. This is not our opinion. This is the word of God. Homosexuality is a sin. It is anti-God. It is against the will of God. How do you have a homosexual church and a homosexual calling himself a Christian? And you will not enter into the kingdom by saying, I am a Christian. Let me in. The issue is, are you born again? My concern is that too many in the church are Christians. And we don't have everybody born again. I don't care how many songs you know. I don't care how many scriptures you can quote. I've known Brother Everhart for a long time. I remember this one gentleman. I even remember his name, Robbie. He was an atheist. And we had a friend, Keith, and I remember uh, Robbie would argue with Keith because he knew the scriptures better than Keith did, but he's an atheist. So I don't care how many scriptures you know. I mean, how, how many songs you know. Are you born again? 
You must be born again. None of that matters. Jesus says plainly that in that day many will come to me and say, didn't we not do this church activity and that church? Were we not involved in the church? Didn't we do Christian things? But he will say, away from me, ye that work iniquity. Because if you're not born again, if you do not know Jesus Christ for yourself, it's all wasted effort. It's all wasted activity. And the issue is, you're lost. And God wants you in position. That's not where God wants you to be. He wants you in the right place. As we try to fight Him, He's trying to get us in the right place. See, you might be, oh, there's those holy roads. No, it is God who's dealing with you. And again, as long as you don't admit that you're lost, you'll never receive the help that you need. You know, I'm out of time. I can't begin anything else. This is just the introduction. See, but once we can be located, I'm telling you, here's the thing about, here's the thing about it for me, people. If you don't know what you have avoided, how can you really rejoice? How can you really rejoice? Because if you think you were good from the get-go, what are you rejoicing in? But if you knew you were in trouble, if you knew you were in danger, and by no effort of your own, somebody helped you when you weren't any good to them, man, what kind of help is that? See, because see, I want us to see God is a redeeming God, because that's who He is. While we sit up here try to blame God for, for this wrong and that wrong, for this injustice and that injustice. God is saying it is all going to be put away because it is all out of order but I need you in position first. And he wants to do that. And we'll get to it. But the thing I love about it is that God redeems those who we don't want to redeem. And we always think about somebody else. I'm talking about you. People don't want to deal with you. But God says, I'll take on that assignment because I love you. What a God. Let me tell you, you don't know what time you have, except right now. And if you've been fighting what God has been giving, you're out of your mind. God doesn't have any bad gifts, doesn't have any evil gifts to give. He just wants you to have life. Again, who hates life? And I love what Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 17, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the true God, and Jesus, whom you sent. See, if you don't know him, you think you have life, that's just what you know. And you won't know life until, you, you know, some people walk around with diseases, and they're accustomed to having the disease. But when, when a doctor identifies it and deals with it and heals them, they're like, man, I didn't know life could be this good. We've got many people walking around diseased. God is trying to heal you. And you don't know life yet. But if you just turn to him, let me tell you, here's the thing about God. You know what God wants for you in return? There's nothing you can give him. Because here's the thing about being out of position with God. God created you to be with Him. And as long as you're away from Him, 
you're out of position. He just wants you in position. And when you're in position, and we'll find this out, but this pertains to not only relationship, this pertains to fellowship. If you have family members you love, you just like being with them. You want them. And if you ever had a family member who was strung out on drugs, you still love them. But you want them off those drugs. And then the fellowship can be totally different. Do not put off what you can do today as it pertains to being born again. Listen, it is not hard, it's not difficult. In, in the book of Luke, I forget the chapter, but it talks about two people going up to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a sinner. And the Pharisee made a long prayer told God how good he was, told God how he was better than the sinner that he was standing next to. And then the sinner stood there and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, don't you know the Pharisee didn't go justify? But that sinner did. Because he was the one when I had the 99 that are already justified. All you have to do is cry out to him. Say, God, I'm lost. I admit it. I'm not being stubborn. I'm not being emotional about it. I am lost. What can I hide from you anyway? I want to be in right position. I turn the keys of this car that I've been driving in my life. And I've been driving all in the wrong position. I turn them over to you. And I let you be the driver. I let you lead my life. I will be yours. Jesus will be my Lord and Savior. There's no script. It's just a prayer to God out of your heart. He'll hear you. The Bible says, a broken and a contrite spirit, he will in no wise turn away. It transcends time, but it's not for all time. Let's bow our heads together. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.